Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. It was a breathless week and weekend of sports all around the world. Yes, we will catch up with all the cricket, tennis, badminton, football, Formula 1 action and more. But first, here's Ayaz. Hello Mr. Fantastic. It's been, as you mentioned, a fantastic week in sports. There's just so much action happening in, you know, across disciplines. Obviously, there's a, you know, a lot of interest zooming in on cricket and the IPL in particular. But let's not forget Lakshya Sen reaching the final of the All England Championship. Not winning the title, but being in the final at age 20 is a mighty achievement. There's obviously Rafa Nadal, who is just not out of the headlines at all this year. Uh, Pakistan versus Australia, the test series in the final test match being played at Lahore. So there's a lot of expectation from that series and so on. I mean, there's just just so much happening in sport in the first quarter of this year and particularly now uh, after a two-year, what what should I say, a period of lull and hardship and doubt and skepticism whether sports will be back to normal and all or not, it really seems it is now back to normal. Absolutely. So it's a great question. Where do we start? Let's kick things off with cricket and the IPL. We're just days away now from the IPL. And teams seem to be well into their routines of practice, preparation. They're all in their bubbles. Uh, The opening weekend, which is just a few days from now, we'll see some great rivalries being rekindled. We have CSK versus KKR on opening day, followed by Delhi, Mumbai and Punjab, Bangalore on day two. The two new teams, which is Gujarat and Lucknow, will face off against each other on their debut matches on Monday. And the first round of matches will be capped off with a Hyderabad versus Rajasthan face-off on Tuesday. So I'm going to put you straight on the spot, Ayaz. Let's predict the winners for these. (laughs) You know what? I think the addition of two new teams has kind of... uh, And it's a recast scenario because a lot of the talent has now, which was, say, originally belonging to... Mumbai Indians or Chennai Super Kings, the two toughest or the best teams in the tournament for many years, are no longer there. Quinton de Kock, Trent Bolt, no longer with Mumbai. Faf Duplessis, no longer with Chennai Super Kings. He's going to play for RCB, in fact, captain RCB. So a lot of changes have taken place. I think the issue really is going ahead, you know, how quickly these teams settle down again, which means they have to be, you know, get more cohesive, uh, recast their agendas, keeping in mind that there are new players in, and how quickly the new players adapt to the team culture uh, or the dressing room culture of the different franchises. Obviously, we don't know what the culture is of Lucknow and Gujarat uh, right now. But for them also, the settling in period has to be very swift. If they take too long, I'm afraid that they might be ending up, uh, be- they might end up becoming stragglers. But all in all, I think uh, it's interesting just to kind of give you an idea of how thought processes may be working already. So CSK, you know, they're very thorough, they're very immaculate. So is Mumbai, and that's why they are such fantastic performing teams. They chose to have their camp in Surat, knowing full well that the tournament is going to be played two grounds in Mumbai, one in Navi Mumbai and one in Pune. As much as possible, to be as close as possible to the, the conditions and the weather certainly, uh, as they would find during the tournament proper. So that's good thinking on the part of CSK. And remember, CSK also have their problems. Uh, they don't have the services of Deepak Chahar, who's injured, maybe for 8, 10, 15 days. We don't know as yet. Also, the first week, somebody like a Moeen Ali will not be available because he's playing white ball cricket for England. 
he was also running into some rough times with getting his visa i, I would imagine that will be sorted out so the point i'm trying to make larger point is that this is a, a period of some anxiety and some uncertainty for all franchises no, no matter how new or old they are the older you are somebody like rcb and particularly virat kohli season after season after season he's been a top notch performer but season after season after season the franchise doesn't seem to win will things be different this time we don't know it's going to be really fun to watch i think the ipl absolutely but i'm still not letting you off the spot let's pick a winner for each of these first five matches it's just for fun and uh, yes we will also later talk about some of the fantasy picks because all teams are going to be completely redone so the first match csk versus kkr you know i'll i'll go with the defending champions csk i know that there is lots of problems that they've been facing apart from not being able to retain somebody like a fav duplessis uh, moin ali may not play the first week and so on but i think that the experience of a champion team the mindset and the core team which is there which is jadeja joni himself uh, and and some of the others who are uh, who been with the franchise should see them through the first 8 10 days in my opinion are going to be it's a very open scenario and that's where the experience and the Uh, the solidity and the astuteness of a captain can make a big difference so i would pick csk over kkr in the first match then you have the delhi capitals against the mumbai indians yeah now this is a big match in my opinion this is the biggest match of the first week delhi capitals you know reinforced unlike say kkr who have a new captain in shreyas ayer shreyas ayer was captain of dc earlier with kkr but rishabh pant is the flavor of the season where india is concerned is it he and shreyas both but rishabh pant has been Uh, just magnificent and they they built up a uh, you know they've lost a, a few players like rabada but they've also got a very good team and i think mumbai at this point in time i would really like to see how mumbai fare uh, without kent bolt and quinton dickock remember it's not about just these two players it's about the partnerships bolt and bumra together is a menacing proposition for any team so too quinton dickock with a rohit sharma so both these overseas players not being there could be a bit of a to be a tough call for mumbai indians but then again i would say i'll go with the tried and trusted at this stage of the tournament than the new and the slightly more adventurous team so i would pick mumbai over delhi oh that's that's quite a big call but i also think that home advantage for mumbai throughout the season might might be a decisive factor yeah so i mean uh, even if they don't play at the one k day and if they play at the webon stadium it's still mumbai isn't it the home, the home and the home crowd support not just the conditions the home crowd support will matter a big deal yeah three out of the four stadia are in mumbai so that's and even the fourth is like an extension of mumbai so uh, they're going to have a disproportionate advantage there that's true but that's that's how it goes so the other teams will have to learn to live with the fact that when they play against mumbai they're going to have they're, they're going to be on the other side of the fans Absolutely. Well, the third game of uh, this year's IPL will see the Punjab Kings against the RCB. Now, these are two perennial underachiever teams, aren't they? And therefore, it's a very big match for both. I think a good start is, you know, so important in a league like this, especially now with ten teams in the in the fray. I mean, uh, you know, RCB. I frankly couldn't fathom much of their uh, approach in the mega auction. They they seem to want to get players and yet not make the bids or the more, you know. make the more concerted effort but what they've got is a uh, fav duplessis which is a massive massive boost because it's also given them a captain 
Then they've got Virat Kohli, who hasn't looked bad in the T20 format, but he needs to put in some match-winning performances. They've also got, you know, Mohamed Siraj is there. They've, but they've lost a couple of players. One is A.B. De Villiers, and the other is Yuzvendra Chahal. Now, these are, you know, these were two big match winners for RCB, and they are not there. So it looks like an even-steven situation for me uh, between Punjab and uh, RCB. Let's, let's just say uh, that with Fab Duplicy and Virat Kohli, they should be able to they should be able to pull through in this match. All right. So batting over everything else is what you're saying in the opening weekend. And then we've got the two new guys, the Gujarat Titans and the Lucknow Super Giants. And these are the most unknown of all teams because they didn't have a core to start with. I mean, other teams all had at least a couple of players uh, who had been retained from previous years. But this will be interesting and a hard one to call. It's a hard one to call. And uh, they've also had some uh, uh, pullouts, isn't it? Uh, I think Jason Roy pulled out from uh, Gujarat Titans and Mark Woods has pulled out from Lucknow Super Giants. So, uh, where overseas players are concerned, they both had a setback. Uh, you know, and I think Gujarat Titans is a completely you know, new setup in the sense, both are new setups, but the captain is new, Hardik Pandya. The, the spoils of the auction are fairly evenly divided. And they've got uh, KL Rahul as captain, Lucknow. So, uh, you know, I'll go with Gujarat Titans because I think Harnik, very aggressive player, uh, and he would want to make an immediate impact as player as well as captain. He comes from the a very strong stable, having played all these seasons or all his previous seasons with Mumbai, where he knows what it means to win. You know, I mean, KL Rahul as a, as a batsman has been fantastic for, for Punjab, as we know but didn't quite succeed as a captain. So I would actually punt on Gujarat Titans here against the Super Giants. So uh, Gujarat or Lucknow, who's your pick? I'll pick Gujarat. I'll punt on Gujarat this time because as I mentioned, uh, Hardik Pandya comes from a stable where he knows what it's to mean. He's played so, you know, all his career in Mumbai before this. Uh, Rahul has been a fantastic batsman amongst the best in the, in, the, in the league over the past many years. But as a captain, he hasn't been able to really his weight. So, it'll be fun to watch, but I'll, I'll go with the more aggressive uh, or seemingly aggressive Hardik Pandya here as the captain and, you know, leading uh, both our new teams and I'll go with Gujarat Titans. Alright, and the final match of round one will be Hyderabad versus the Rajasthan Royals. And, well, these are again two teams that are slightly uniquely made up, wouldn't you say? They are, actually. And, uh, you know, again, in the auction, I thought uh, the Sunrisers Hyderabad were either defensive or clueless. It's not easy to point out what exactly was happening because they didn't make too many bills apart from Nicholas Puran, uh, where I thought they went, you know, hammer and tongs and got him, which is not a bad thing to do if you covet a player. But overall, their strategy in the auction seemed to be you know, wait and watch, wait and watch. They waited too long and they just watched all the talent running away elsewhere. So <laughs> I would actually, uh, I know Ken Williamson, Ken Williamson is going to be there hopefully from the very beginning. I don't know the status of his injury and the recovery. We, we still haven't heard. We haven't got word. But I would, I would actually at this point in time go with Rajasthan. They've been a little, uh, you know, aggressive. They've uh, let go of guys like Steve Smith. Uh, they don't have Ben Stokes. But they've packed together quite a lot of interesting talent uh, who can win matches for them. And why not start with the win? So I'll pick them over Hyderabad. So that's your first weekend of the IPL sorted. 
be sure to match your predictions with Ayaz's. And if you do get it better than Ayaz, well, just feel good. There's no prizes up for you. <laughs> we'll move on to international cricket, where as well, there is a lot to talk about. We saw England and West Indies battle it out for a second draw, but I think that was quite a hard-fought one, as did Australia and Pakistan, where Pakistan put up a very impressive rearguard action on day five, where for a while, actually, it seemed like they were winning. Then there's Bangladesh and South Africa, uh, where Bangladesh have now registered their first overseas win over South Africa. And, of course, the Women's World Cup. Let's start with the Women's World Cup, shall we, Ayaz? The Aussie women seem to be mimicking what their men do usually at these tournaments. They're just steamrolling everyone. They just look a cut above the others, don't they, Mr. Fantastic? They've just been so good in batting and bowling. The body language is aggressive. They seem to find the right kind of player, batter or bowler, to come up with a wicket or, you know, quick knock, few blows that will take the pressure off. Look, India ran them very close. It was not easy for the Australian women women's team to win. It went into the final It was over. a record chase. It was a record chase. It went into the last over. But uh, one has to concede that the Australians were better than India. In fact, have been better than any other team. And they are really the side to beat. Anybody or any team which is going to be in the knockout, their sights will be set on Australia. How the hell do we get past this unit uh, of, of, of Australian, uh, the Australian women's team? I think that's really the challenge for every team. Absolutely. Well, the Indian team uh, started off strong, but then they've lost a couple of close games, like the one you mentioned to Australia and England as well. And uh, they are still definitely in contention for a knockout place. But uh, do you think confidence will now have taken a beating? Do you think they can recover? Because their remaining matches uh, are Bangladesh and South Africa, and South Africa are a team in form. Yeah, I mean, look, India were amongst the favoured teams. Uh, obviously, Australia and defending champions England uh, were also very strong teams. But as it's panned out, you, India's problem has been inconsistency. They've got, they've had a couple of thumping wins, some uh, you know a bad loss. Then of course the close match against Australia, but a defeat is a defeat. So it's been a kind of a roller coaster ride for the Indian women. Uh, the top order was not thought to be very consistent, but they, you know you had. Somebody like Harman Preet Kaur has been making runs of plenty. She's answered her critics in the best way possible, which is by making a bad talk. Smriti Mandhana has looked extremely good whenever she's got got going. Uh, Mritali Raj came good in the match against Australia, though you know one can always say that could she have scored a little faster? But I think that's a criticism which really has no bearing when you're batting at number three. I think what might be more uh, valid as a as a tactic is to maybe play Harman Preet Kaur at number three. Because she seems to be in such fine form. But what will or what could help India, as we are recording this, Mr. Fantastic, uh, I've just kind of I've been tracking the scores. And the Pakistan women's team, which was stragglers in the tournament, beaten even by Bangladesh, have upset the West Indies in the rain curtailed match. So West Indies, who are like giant killers, have come a cropper against Pakistan. That opens up an opportunity for India again. Uh, if, if you finish level on six points with them, your net run rate would take you ahead. Remember that New Zealand are out of contention. Uh, so are Pakistan. So too Bangladesh. So now it, it, it's it, the Indian you know hopes are not yet extinguished. But they have to beat Bangladesh. And you know if they beat South Africa also, then it makes it that much easier. But even if you know you beat Bangladesh, you have to make sure that the net run rate is high. 
Absolutely. So I think this victory for that Pakistan has scored over the West Indies might be a blessing and a not very disguised one, thankfully. Moving on to the men's, the England and West Indies series is throwing up some absolutely grinding batting performances, uh, especially from the West Indies. Uh, it's It's been quite amazing, hasn't it? Uh, how the West Indies team, which is so far uh, over the last uh, 15, 20 years, been characterized as one filled with swashbuckling batsmen, suddenly have found themselves grinding out draws. I mean, I can't believe it, you know, but the kind of batting we've seen from... Craig Brathwaite, who's the captain, he's made a hundred, marvelous hundred by all accounts. Then there was Bonner, who ground out another, uh, ground out a hundred in the earlier Test match. These are this is not the typical Caribbean style of flair and flamboyance and big shots and you know exhilarating batting. This is like dour stuff. Wear down the bowlers, try and get into into a situation where you can put pressure on the other team. The amazing stat which I got to know is Carlos Brathwaite, who's played about seventy four Test matches, I think, yeah. or something like that. Has, hasn't played a single T20 match in any form, whether it's a T20 league or T20 international. He's not played that at all. And he's their most consistent run maker in the last maybe eight, nine years. He's you know made the most centuries. Uh, there seems to be nobody else who can match him. So it's a complete turnaround as one understood West Indian batsman to be. When you look at in the past and players like Sobers and Kenna, and I'm not even going too far back to George Hadley and Walcott and Weeks. But, you know, Sobers, Kenna, Richards, Greenwich, Brian Lara, and all these, you know, spontaneous, extraordinary stroke players. And now you've got these guys who are actually just grinding out runs. One of the things which was uh, interesting for me to read was Kemal Roach, the West Indies fast bowler, lamenting that the West Indies pitches or the pitches in the West Indies have nothing in them for fast bowlers. He's saying they are just so, you know, so dull and so dead that it's no longer fun or rewarding to bowl uh, quick in the West Indies. Now, maybe that's one of the reasons uh, that is also producing, you know, these uh, runs, the, the strike rate which is low and innings which take which last for a day and a half, but the total does not exceed 360, 380. Uh, not great advertisement for attacking test cricket, which is what everybody anticipates or expects nowadays. It is good to know that West Indies are not throwing away matches, uh, you know, by through carelessness, yeah. like they used to do in the past, by trying to just live up to an old image. So it's a bit of, you know, this and that. I think what to me has been worthwhile to watch is that the West Indies are showing some spunk in test cricket, which they were not earlier. And then, of course, what this series has shown is Joe Root, I mean, form that he's, you know, he's been in has been marvelous since 2021. He's made eight test hundreds from the start of 2021. He had a lean series in Australia in the Ashes, but otherwise he's been such a dominant batsman. And then, of course, even Ben Stokes hitting a century, a whirlwind century to show that he's, you know, back at his best. Absolutely. Really, really good series there. And there's still one more test to go. So that'll be worth watching and following as well. Uh, moving on to Pakistan, closer home. Uh, Australia and Pakistan engaged in that epic test match. Uh, the second one that Pakistan did very well to actually eke out a draw from. Uh, Babar Azam narrowly missing a double hundred. But uh, it's a great advertisement finally after having nine days of absolutely dead ball cricket. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a series of uh, extreme contrast. I know two, two test matches, both drawn, but so you know, starkly different from each other. The first one was a, you know, 
it could bore you to death because nothing was happening. The pitch was dead as a dodo, and batsmen just had to go there and you know put out their bed and pillow and go to sleep if you wanted and put the spectators to sleep. The second Test match also a draw, but lots of action. Uh, there's something in the pitch for the bowlers. Pakistan getting bowled out for 148 in the first innings, opening up prospects of a win for Australia. Australia setting a target of 500 and 510, I think, or 506. For, for Pakistan to win. And Pakistan batting out the better past part of two days at one stage, almost appearing as if they were chased successfully. Now, that's a very dramatic match to watch, even if it ended in a draw. And I keep saying that sometimes drawn matches produce the most exciting cricket. And in my opinion, what we saw of Babar Azam and Mohammad Rizwan, Babar Azam, I think through this innings, has taken that leap from being a fantastic or a very fine batsman into... You know, and he was knocked on the doors of the, you know, where the greatest batsmen uh, reside. So I think he's, he's been showing that or he's been threatening to do that for the past five, six years. But this is an innings which I think will take him. It just elevates him to, to that level. And Mohamed Rizwan uh, is, is a, like many wicketkeeper batsmen, very spunky, very strokeful, a man for a crisis. But look at his consistency. Last year he was. Most consistent in ODI in, in T20 cricket. He was ICC's T20 player of the year. And now he's established himself across all three formats. And I think going ahead, there's going to be an interesting race between him and, say, somebody like a Rishabh Pant. Both wicket keeper batsmen, both love to play attacking, uh, you know, attacking knocks, both love a crisis, and uh, both high impact players. Uh, so I, I think this is, in a way, it's, it's a great series to watch because it's the first time. In 24 years that, uh, you know, Australia have gone to Pakistan, that in itself is a memorable uh, occasion. But also, Pakistan needed a, a big series at home to revive the interest of the fans. And that's what's happening. Well, let's hope that this third test throws up a result because this is a series that really does deserve to have a winner. All right. So we've also had a bit of action happening in South Africa with Bangladesh visiting them, registering their first overseas win uh, in South Africa, over South Africa. And there have been a lot of promising moments in Bangladesh's history, but they've never really gone on to, uh, you know, stay true to that promise. Do you think this will change anything? I hope so. I mean, you know, you need teams to be competitive playing overseas. Otherwise, if you're only good at home, it doesn't really help the sport also. It might help you make some, you know, get some uh, wins in the record books, but it's not taking the sport ahead. And I think it's very important for teams to not just win at home, but overseas, because that makes the whole cricketing scenario a little more enjoyable and a little more competitive. I think it's also come at the right time for uh, for Bangladesh, because they've been dogged by controversies. You know, Shakibul Hassan first said he's not going to play, then he's got, he was cajoled by the Bangladesh cricket board, he's gone. He's had a good hand to play in at least one match. Uh, Tamim Iqbal, the captain in the uh, white ball in, in, in ODIs, he's had a very good series. So too, Litton Das, so they need these, you know, the players to be informed. Remember, also it's so important for all teams, especially white ball cricket, because you're heading into a scenario, uh, or, or not, not too long, or not too far away, when you're going to play the World T20 World T20 World Cup in Australia. So you need your main players to be participating a lot more. And also, if they start winning, it really helps the team. Well, let's hope that this is the start of something big for them. Staying with ball games, but moving away from cricket. Uh, let's talk about Rafael Nadal and how his streak of 20 unbeaten matches in 2022 was finally broken. And although it was by a seemingly unlikely opponent, Taylor Fritz, 
take nothing away from both of their achievements. I mean, to win 20 games on the trot at, you know, this stage of his career, coming back from a lot of injury, which includes the Australian Open, by the way. Uh, but Taylor Fritz, what a story. He beat Andre Rublev in the semis and then in straight sets beat Rafael Nadal on a day where it was said that Fritz is operating at about 60-70% fitness. What a fantastic win. Fantastic win. I think it'll just, uh, you know, it, it'll kind of leapfrog him uh, into the higher or the upper echelons. Uh, but more than that, the fact of beating a Rafael Nadal, and I know Rafael Nadal has had a long history of injuries and recovery and rehab in the recent past. But hey, this year, uh, he's been on a winning streak. He's, he's been a bit of a struggle for him, but he's been on a winning streak. So if you get the better of Rafa, you'll remember that forever. And obviously, it'll be a huge, uh, you know, confidence booster for his younger, much younger opponent who's got his better. But Rafa Nadal himself has been such a wonderful story, hasn't he, this year? Uh, as he himself said after the Australian Open that he thought that, you know, his career had come to a virtual end. But it wasn't to be. I think he's got a second win. And I think having having had so much success this year, he's not going to give up in a hurry. Well, the clay court season is just about starting and that's supposedly his strong point. So we'll only see more of Rafa and more titles uh, being chewed into by him in his signature style. On the women's side, uh, 20-year-old Iga Swiatek beat Maria Sakari in the Indian Wells Masters as well uh, to win her second consecutive WTA 1000 title of 2022. While that's a great story, that really isn't all the story. She now moves to number two in the world. It's not bad for a 20-year-old. But the real story is Ash Party has begun her 113th consecutive week and 120th overall at the top of the WTA rankings. And she's now tied with American legend Chris Evert for the fourth longest consecutive reign at number one in women's tennis. Did you know there's only three other players ever who have held the number one slot for longer uh, in uninterrupted manner than Barty, and that's Steffi Graf, Serena Williams, and Martina Navratilova. So that's some seriously hallowed company to be in. Most certainly, and I think this is something that uh, this is this is what defines uh, uh, you know players who are the consistency. You are at the top for so long; it shows. It's not a flash in the pan victory or or a title or a ranking. It's uh, it's just going on week after week after week, and that is what establishes you amongst the the very best in the sport. Staying with youngsters who are making a big impact on the world stage, Luxus Sain has had a dream two weeks, making the final of the German Open and now the All England Championships. What what a story there. But he sadly couldn't convert either of these into a title. Uh, nonetheless, this is an amazing achievement for a 20-year-old. He lost in Birmingham to Victor Axelsson, world number one, whom he had beaten last week. Uh, and yes, it was a straight sets defeat, 21-10, 21-15. But the scoreline doesn't tell the story. It was not as one-sided as the score implies. It was a very physical battle. But I think more than anything, Lakshya seemed to be overawed by the occasion and he just never really got going, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, he was spectacular in the semis and he just ran out of steam in the finals. You know, hey, he's only 20. And look at what this experience will mean for him going ahead. I think he's been one of the more remarkable stories, not just in Indian badminton, but in the sport itself. Uh, you know, the way he's, the giant strides he's taken in the last 8, 10, 12 months. Uh, I remember Viren Raskina telling me, uh, you know, some, some months back, uh, maybe when we were doing the uh, Olympics coverage together, that watch out for Lakshya. Uh, and I said, but, you know, one hasn't 
seen much of him or heard much much of him he says no i have been speaking to prakash padukone and prakash said this guy is going to be making that quantum jump very soon so you know i mean sometimes uh, you need a trigger to take you from point a to point b point b obviously being much higher or more advanced and that's what seems to have ap- happened with lakshya and now having gone this far at the most important perhaps uh, tournament in in the sport uh, i think that one you know he's not going to look back you know i i think he's he's one for the future Absolutely. Well, let's hope that we do see a lot more of him and especially of him holding up trophies. Moving on to football, it was an absolutely action-packed week. The ISL has a new champion. Hyderabad beat the Kerala Blasters on penalties to win their medal title and we'll have Siju Matthew with the round up. The Indian Super League has come to an end and what a fitting finale it was. The season had a lot of drama on and off the pitch. a covid outbreak that saw some matches rescheduled it was a lot for everyone in the bio bubble but it was all worth it on 20th march as fans returned to the stadium after two seasons in isl it was a sea of yellow as kerala blasters fans and hyderabad fc fans flooded the fatorda stadium the game went on till the extra time and a penalty shootout which saw hyderabad fc lift the isl trophy a pure class by their goalkeeper katimani KBFC gave their all but once again went down fighting but hopefully we see both these teams and the others in the coming seasons of Indian Super League in a great action all the way if this was an end of ISL season but i must say that the indian football stories will continue only on the totally indian football show so please do not forget to follow and subscribe in football there was also the el clasico the fa cup action premier league champions league quarter final draw and Well, here's Samil Arora with all that happened, and don't forget to take a breath, Samil. Now, would you believe it, folks? What if I told you at the start of the year that Real Madrid versus Barcelona is going to be one of the most one-sided encounters of the entire La Liga? I know you'd be saying, "Yeah, I know, right? Barcelona are struggling; they have a bad team. I get it. They they might end up losing by two goals or maybe three. But what if I told you that at the Bernabeu of all places, Barcelona have beaten Real Madrid four nil and This isn't a one-off. The kind of football they played yesterday, well, it just goes to show that Barcelona have come such a long way since Xavi has taken over. And this is the match of the week. It's for sure. I know there have been other closer fixtures, but just for the quality of football Barcelona played, this has to be up there. Aubameyang was the star of the show. I'll tell you what he did. In the first goal, he scored a lovely header. Fine, normal, routine stuff. But then, when assisting Ferran Torres for the third goal of the game, which of course comes after Ronald Araujo's header, header that came in the 38th minute, Aubameyang just had a lovely backheel assist to Ferran Torres, who tapped it away wonderfully well behind the keeper. A backheel assist when there were a couple of defenders right on him. That is just some ridiculous stuff, and it's not the most ridiculous thing of the entire game from Aubameyang. He ended up scoring a beautiful chip goal over the Real Madrid keeper eventually in the second half. and he just stole the show what a contrast it is right a few months ago he was struggling on the bench for arsenal and here he is absolutely ripping real madrid apart wow this was just some match and real were there they had a couple of chances but never to the level of barcelona but in terms of the points table if you are a real madrid fan don't you worry you're still at the top with 66 points sevilla are second with 29 and they have 57 points but barcelona have played one less game than sevilla at 28 and they have 54 points so if they end up winning 
they will go level with Sevilla. Have only won one in their last five. So things are looking bright for Barcelona. Things are looking bright for Real Madrid as well at the top. But seriously, wow, this was some match. But speaking of Real Madrid, speaking of their adventures in the Champions League, they've ended up beating PSG 3-1. And the deficit that they had from the first leg is absolutely gone. They are into the quarterfinals. So are Bayern Munich. They've demolished RB Salzburg 7-1. And the aggregate score of that match was 8-2. Bayern winning 8-2 in a round of 16 Champions League match. When, when was the last time we saw that? Well, the other matches. Liverpool versus Inter. Inter Milan won against Liverpool, which is a big, big statement. But because they didn't score two goals, their aggregate is down at 2-1. So Inter Milan are out of the Champions League. Liverpool go up ahead. In the other news, City beat Sporting 5-0 on aggregate, but drew with them at home. So they go ahead as well. Benfica beat Ajax and they go ahead into the quarterfinals too because the aggregate was 3-2 on their side. And Juventus, well, they lost terribly to Villarreal. And this means that Villarreal go to the quarterfinals and Juve don't. Similar with Chelsea. Chelsea won against Los Lille. They go ahead into the quarterfinals. But Atletico Madrid are the last team because they beat Manchester United 1-0. All of the brilliant performance has just gone for... A total, total shame, literally, for Man United. Everything that they did so far on the back of Cristiano Ronaldo has just gone for a toss with this loss. And Atletico did that away from home. They're a very sturdy unit and they look very, very good. So, what matches are we going to expect from the quarterfinals of the Champions League? We're going to see Benfica versus Liverpool. We're going to see Man City versus Atletico. We're going to see Villarreal versus Bayern. Now, pick your winner on that one. And Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Now, isn't that a spicy one? Finally, to wrap up the football for this week, we had a few Premier League games as well. Not as many as we expected them to be. So we'll have to rush through this one because they're not as significant ones. But Arsenal beat Aston Villa 1-0 in a bit of a thriller. Tottenham beat West Ham yesterday 3-1. That was a pretty fun match. But the other big fixture that you must know about, Liverpool 2, Arsenal 0. And oh my God, this was such a thriller. Two quick goals from Liverpool after the second half and they eventually secured the win. But this was... This was a hard-fought match from both teams. It was not as close, not, not as uh, not as one-sided, actually, as the scoreline showed it to be. But, well, folks, that's all from the football that I've got for you this week. And I know it's a lot of football, but there are other big fixtures coming up as well. Just a quick roundup of the Premier League table. City first, only one point ahead of Liverpool. That's the big story. Well, that's a lot of action indeed, but we're not done yet. What happened in Bahrain in the opening F1 race of the season, Somil? How did Ferrari end up winning? And how did Hamilton make the podium after a terrible start? Tell us that and much more. Go for it. Now, I'll start it in a similar way as I started the football, right? I'm going to ask you, who would have thought that Ferrari would come to Bahrain and absolutely dominate this race? They won one and two. Charles Leclerc, folks is your brand new winner of the Bahrain Grand Prix in 2022. And he did it in such fashion. Took pole position, won the race. But it wasn't always meant to be a a big win for Ferrari because Max Verstappen was consistently challenging him hard. He was consistently fighting him with some amazing wheel-to-wheel duels throughout the race. But would you believe it? At the end, Verstappen's car failed with only a couple of laps to go. Same happened for his teammate Sergio Perez and they were standing P2 and P4. So that's a big points haul immediately lost for Red Bull Racing. And this means that Leclerc finished first, Carlos Sainz finished second, and believe it or not, Lewis Hamilton in the struggling Mercedes ended up finishing third. So he may be the seven-time world champion, yes. He may have a bit of a struggling car, yes. 
but the luck is still working on his side. But you can't exactly call it luck because reliability was on their side as well. And so that's something that's really essential. And you have to work your way to get a reliable car. And Mercedes have done that. But otherwise, other big stories, Kevin Magnussen for Haas, fifth. Haas, they didn't, didn't score even a single point last year. They were absolutely terrible and there's no other word for it. They have ended up finishing fifth. This is just outstanding. So Haas and his comeback, Haas and Magnussen's comeback have ended up doing such a good job. But other teams, McLaren absolutely down and out. McLaren are dead last. They had a slow car. They had an unreliable car. Things are just not working out for them. But otherwise, we also saw George Russell finish fourth on his debut for Mercedes. We saw Valtteri Bottas for Alfa Romeo finish sixth. We saw Alonso getting in the points. We saw Sonoda getting in the points. This was such an amazing Formula 1 race. Such a good way to begin. But Ferrari looked like the team. And Red Bull, well, if they solve the reliability issues next week, we could see a lovely battle right there in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah this Sunday. Well, 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 what a start to the year. It's, it's turning out to be just as exciting. And one final question that we have to answer for this new generation of Formula 1 cars is, are they actually better at racing? Can you actually race them closer? And initially, it seemed like you could. This particular generation of cars is supposed to be one that can race quicker and can race closer to each other. And it did seem like that was the case in this first race in Bahrain. But then again, it's just one race, right? We have to watch and learn. We have to maybe look at a few other races to get a better idea of exactly what's going on. But the verdict looks good so far. And that was showcased by us multiple times by Leclerc and Verstappen. Seriously, what a battle they had. It was so entertaining, so much fun. And if you can, you must watch the highlights. But another news from the world of racing has come up in terms of Jehan Daruwala, India's only Formula 2 racer right now. And Formula 2 is the level below Formula 1. Jehan has been racing there for the last couple of years and he has accumulated a couple of race wins. But in the first race of the season, Jehan finished second, which is an amazing way to begin for him on his quest to get into Formula 1 next year. And it's a good start. In the second race, things were a bit more unfortunate though. He got tagged by Roy Nissan. He was driving like a madman, let's put it that way. So he didn't quite get the best of his second race. But it's a good start for Jehan. He's already got the podium and he's showcasing some really good pace. So who knows, maybe next year we could see an Indian in Formula 1. Well, that's all from the news from the world of Formula 1 and Formula 2, folks. See you next time with the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix review and more news on what happens with Ferrari and if they actually are properly back. Well, thanks. And that's a wrap for this week. There will be a lot more action. The next time we speak, the IPL will be well and truly underway and we'll bring you all of the action and, of course, all the recommendations for your favorite fantasy game. Thanks for joining us and thanks, Ayaz. We'll be back next week with you. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. As always, a pleasure being on the show. Mm -hmm.